2: Recorded live. So,
0: here we are. I can't believe we've made it all the way to the SEC. We're almost done with our conference previews. We have, I guess, two or one and a half left. I guess we'll kind of plomb together one with the independents. And frankly, for most of you, join a conference. Uh, If you're in Notre Dame, you know, sure, go on with your bad self. BYU, join a conference. Get in the Mountain West. Uh, there's only a few teams where it, to me, really makes
2: actual sense to not really be in the conference. BYU, you're a special program, but you're not the Notre Dame of the mountain range or
0: whatever it is you're trying to be. But that being said... The FTC is a, uh, a two-weeker, so we'll do them this week and next week. We'll finish up, and then we'll knock out the independents, and, yeah, we'll be done. Wow. Uh, so that's it. Oh, and small school. We'll do a big old – a week after that, a big old small school put-nanny, uh, where I'll be inviting Christian Schanifelt to return. Uh, I'll be inviting Sean DiPasquale. I'll be inviting uh, David West and uh, the guys from uh, Tyrant Scouting as well. So that's for the future, so that's in a couple of weeks, the week after next week. And then, (laughs) uh, believe it or not, it'll be team releases. So we'll have the shows that are dedicated to the all underappreciated and all emerging team, which is kind of something, sort of the CDS, uh, sort of our trademark, the thing we're known for, are those two teams, and something I've been doing since 2000 and, I don't know, 11? 10? Uh, Something like that. I've been doing it for a while. And it's a joy, frankly. It's one of my favorite things, is recognizing the unrecognized. You know, and some of those guys eventually get a shot, and you see what I was with, Joyke Bell, and You know, Ricardo Lockett, who unfortunately had to put an end to his playing career, and a few other guys. Chris Gokong, right? A few other guys from last in the past, from the early, early days of the all underappreciated team. And, you know, we'll see what happens to the, you know, the Joby St. Floors and guys like Cade Harrington who will be on this year's team. But this is not their day. This is not their week. Uh, This is barely even their month. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is early, early January. January, July, good lord. Woo! It is early July And of course, we are not far from the July fourth. Well, it is the July fourth holiday weekend. We're not far off, just two days away from July fourth itself. Uh, this is an exciting time. And I believe that may be
2: Isaiah. Is that Isaiah C who's joined me as well? Someone's joined me. Oh, let me just... say sorry, sorry about that. Let me try again. Might that be Isaiah? Who might that be? But we'll know in a second. One way or the other. So getting to uh, the world as it is of the SEC.
0: Uh, the SEC, rightly or wrongly, uh, is the most discussed conference in all of college football. And, you know, there's a debate about who's second, but everybody knows who's number one amongst most debate, most discussed, most hyped, uh, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. People have a tendency to forget the bottom of the SEC, both the East and the West, which sometimes, you know, especially on the East side, can be fairly, you know, missed, for a of a better way of putting it. Uh, though we always praise the conference as a whole, sometimes there's some averageness to be found, uh, quite frankly. So, I wanted to throw out sort of a, an emerging program in the SEC, a program I think has head in the right direction. I'm going to throw out a – I don't know what the opposite of emerging is, but a program that I think is in some trouble, I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, may – be taking a step back, and then we'll talk about, you know, the programs as a whole, tiny bit about recruiting. I'm not super deep into recruiting, though obviously I know about some of the top guys. And I guess most importantly, we'll talk about the players that have the best chance to be successful professionals, because that's what we do. That's sort of our main thing. So I'm going to start with you know, the programs, those sturdy programs that hold up hold up the rest of the SEC, right? Uh, poor South Carolina. Uh, I believe they will be the worst team in the SEC and the worst team in the East. I think people will understand how and why Steve Spurrier exited days left as rapidly as he did. And when you add to the fact this team had a fair number of guys decide to hit the skids early and head off to the NFL, I mean, a lot of things happened, very few of them good very few of them good for for the uh, Gamecocks last year, and I don't expect things to get better soon. Coach Muschamp is a fiery guy, obviously the most defensive-minded coach they've had in 20-plus years at the school. It is a rich place to recruit. Uh, South Carolina is an, an underrated state itself, and, of course, you've got North Carolina on top of you, Georgia beneath you, Tennessee, behind you. Kentucky also sort of nestled very close to you or not very far from you. Uh, Virginia is not super far away, which is another underrated state in terms of talent, but a really good producer of talent. Here's the issue. Here's the problem uh, in a nutshell. This is a team that got close. In fact, got very close at one point to putting itself in the mix with Florida and Georgia and a few others as consistent contenders to win the East each and every year. Looked like that's where they were headed. And then when they started to take steps back, they took not baby steps back, but giant steps back. And they haven't, frankly, recovered from those steps. They still are winning some recruiting battles, and that's the – if you're looking for a silver lining, as always, South Carolina is bringing in youngsters on on the back end. And few of them, two or three, will probably see the field earlier rather than later. A few of them. The issue, an issue, uh, I guess you would say, amongst the issues, is that they have to figure out, they have to fight through at least one, I think, truly ugly year. This may be their worst year in fairly recent memory. So prepare yourselves, I guess. <laughs> I'm saying, Gamecock fans, Uh, strap on, hold on, it's going to be a bumpy ride this year. That's my prediction, at least. And I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, believe it or not. Uh, Teams that I thought would would be hard-pressed to find five wins have found seven or eight. Teams that I thought would have a shot to to be right there in the mix and won five games. But when you look at their situation, there's talent, certainly. But on-field leadership, to me, seems to be hard to find on this team. Even at the quarterback position, where where do you think leadership first? Right when you think about how a team is put together, even on teams that don't throw the ball a deal, where you know, I mean, you know, lots of teams don't ask their quarterback to win the game in terms of with his arm in the SEC particularly, right? But at least you look for leadership, mental toughness, someone around whom the team can rally. I mean, Connor Shaw is an excellent example, right? Because <laughs> the last time South Carolina had a, he was an ultimate leader. Got a chance to talk to him at the NFLPA game. The guy radiated character, radiated mental and physical toughness. He said that if football didn't work out for him, he was planning to head for Marine Officer's Candidate School, right? That guy, that's who Connor Shaw was. They don't have that guy, not from a talent perspective even. And Connor Shaw wasn't immensely talented. But more importantly, they don't have that guy from a leadership perspective on either side of the ball, as far as I can tell. And once again, I've maybe proven me wrong. Maybe a leader will emerge. And that's what why you play the game. That's why you have a season to see what happens. Ah, just breaking down what one can expect based on what we know going forward and based to some extent on what we saw last year. Spring, The spring game is important for Everybody, but for teams like South Carolina, I put a little more importance on it than I would on some teams. I mean, if Alabama has a terrible spring game, <gasps> right? I mean, so I mean, it just gives you know Coach Saban something to scream and yell about. But you know, how really serious are you can you take if they have a terrible spring game? It just means that the guys maybe didn't focus as much as they should. I mean, whatever. It's, it's Alabama. You like you don't worry. Well, maybe you worry if you're. Alabama lifer or whatever, but, but I mean, deep down inside, you know, the things are probably going to be all right. However, you don't have that same sense at a program that I think is kind of on the brink, quite frankly. And I don't mean on the brink of, you know, disaster as in, oh, my God, you know, we'll never win again or whatever. I, I mean more on the brink of taking a step where we discuss them more the way we discuss Vanderbilt than the way we discuss Florida. They, they, I think that's where they are. So, good news. There's good news. Let's start with that. Brady McElwain, the good news. They've had issues with the quarterback position. I think, at least from a performance standpoint, throwing a football where it's supposed to be thrown, when it's supposed to be thrown standpoint, this team will be much better than last year's team. Uh, Perry Orth, God bless him, is still in the mix. Uh, he is a senior. He's been injured and, frankly, not very good when healthy. So, I think that the job is down to those two. There are some other guys in the mix, but to, in my mind, and once again, you know, hey, could I be wrong? Yes, but I don't think I am. To me, it's down to those two guys, and McKellings look, looks good. I believe he's more comfortable throwing the ball underneath, intermediate, and short, but that's what I would do with him anyway. He's young, and th- from what I've seen, this offense is probably better off trying to pick up three to eight-yard gains both in the running game and the passing game than going for big plays from what I've seen. And obviously, you know, a handful of practices in spring games, so it's not like we have a lot to go on, but that's what I would advise thus far. And I can't imagine that, in, barring either a major sort of retrenchment step back in terms of what has been shown or injury, I don't see a way that where McKellin gives the job back to Orton. Other than that, I think he's your guy, and unless he really stinks it up or gets hurt, I think you just ride it out with him. The running game, well, they are going to be, I think, a more run heavy team than they've been recently, though they've been fairly run heavy. But I think they're going to be even more run heavy. That's what I would guess. And they're going to throw some things at you. I think you're going to see wide receivers minus in the backfield at times. You might see some full house, some options. Some they're going to try to, to sort of steal six, seven, eight, nine, ten yard gains in the running game. Whenever, wherever, however, there he is. How are you doing, Isaiah?
3: I'm doing all right. Got it. So, <laughs> always
0: great to have you. And yes, you're you're a, if you start contributing articles and better content, I I will figure out a way to intro you. I'll I'll research you. I'll find out what you're great at. But as of now, to me, you're in that uh, how do I put this? You're in that second tier right now. You, you want to get into that first tier? You know, keep working. <laughs> but, but, I'll put it this way: always inspirational, always excited. Often takes the show in the directions I hadn't planned. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the one,
3: the only, Mr. Isaiah. <laughs> How about that? Is that the way to start? That's that's much better. I've been called worse.
0: Yeah, I bet <laughs> you.
3: Have. So let's
1: let's
0: start with South Carolina. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I think they're going to be flat out bad. Uh, I think this is going to be a struggle for them. Now, if they forward, get to maybe, maybe if they get to five hundred, big ups to the coaching staff. I mean, I'm going to say that right now, if they get to, if they're bowl eligible, they get to six and six. That to me, that's a that's a win. That's a that's a successful year. That's a hey, 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 you know, maybe we got something here. Year in my mind, if they manage to pull that off. Who are the players that you're paying the most attention to, and what do you think is
2: going to happen for the Gamecocks this year? Hold on, just give me a moment. I'm digging through my notes. Oh, good. I was afraid you'd, you'd suffered a stroke. Well, while you're doing that, I will continue. So, things to look for this year: more tempo on offense, and
0: I don't want to say they're a running game
3: this year, but
0: they're going to try to manufacture one, yeah.
2: And that's what I was just talking about. Don't be surprised if you see some Chip Kelly-ish, reddish, wingy, Gus Malzani running attack kind of things to try to get their
0: their best players with the ball in their hands, even if they're wide receivers. Don't don't be shocked if you see the wide receivers get involved in the running game more than they ever have in the past. It wouldn't shock me if they were a team that ran two reverses or two wide receiver, you know, pitch plays per quarter. Eight, I wouldn't be surprised to see eight of those in a game where they ran the ball the wide receivers. I would not shock shock me one other because their receivers may not be great at running routes and certain wide receiver things, but they're good with the ball in their hands. They have a lot of sort of punt returner types, including Debo Samuel. So. I think they, like I said, I, I think they might have a more fun running attack than they have the pass. I don't feel like there's a lineup and try of pound it straight at you. One, because it wouldn't work, especially if there's very little threat of the deep passing game. And then two, they don't, have, in my mind, don't have the running backs for it. Marcus Lattimore is not walking through that door.
3: So, you don't have Mark Davis running through that door.
0: No. No, you don't have a Davis. lot of people walking through that door. Yes, <laughs> There's a whole lot of people... They don't have a kid as good as Ralph Webb at Vanderbilt in my mind on their roster right now, running back, quite frankly.
3: But- well, their offense is going to their offense is going to be very stalled-like. So there's some decent players on defense. Sky Moore. We talked a little oh, bit yeah, about right. him on my show.
0: Yeah, well, Sky Moore, as I said before, is basically a I always see a poor man's even. he's a smaller. Less hyped, and you know, obviously doesn't play as much on offense. Version of um, of Miles Jack. I mean, he does a lot. It's funny because people always act like Miles Jack was this one-off item. No one ever played football like him before. Like, you know, watch more football. Um, there are guys who've done what Miles Jack's done from Carnell Lake at UCLA, twenty-five, twenty-something odd years ago. Uh, you want to go back even further? Tom Jackson in the seventies at at Louisville did the same thing. So. Sky Moore is another guy in that tradition of undersized, really, really quick linebackers who are great in space.
3: Uh, Marquevious Lewis. Another guy, uh, I guess you're looking for positives for this team. Hmm. We're trying to
2: open with positives, yes, and then we'll we'll hit them with the other. (laughs) David
3: Williams. Oh, boy, they're in trouble. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's wait, wait, wait! Hold on. Let's talk about some of the. There are some guys who are going to be coming back either from injury or transfers. So let's let's hit a few more positives. So, watch out for Erwin Jones, who was a junior college guy who came in last year. I have the sort of shock that some junior college guys of, oh my god, this is really different from what I experienced at junior college. I mean, the high school guys, you bring them along more slowly usually, so the shock is spread out. But a lot of junior college guys come in, you know, right before the season very often because it takes a while to clear them through the NCAA clearing house. Well the point is that he he didn't adjust yet. But I think this year might be the year that he actually makes an impact. Abu Lameen is going to see some time at defensive tackle. He's another guy that spent one year at junior college transferred in. And frankly, his first two years didn't do much, but this is the year that he begins to at least give you that solid presence in the middle. And Muschamp has talked about him a great deal all throughout the spring practice process. Here's the thing that scares me most. Uh, coverage of people in the deep secondary, and getting people who can attack the deep secondary. They seem to be a team that's going to struggle to make big plays down the field and struggle against big plays down the field. That's something that worries me about, as I analyze the South Carolina team, is it looks like those are two areas where they were going to be bad, quite frankly. I mean, I can't even know where to put it. The bad news is I wouldn't be shocked if they had a couple of games where people passed for darn near 300 yards on them, and... I will not be shocked if they had a couple of games where they passed for 140 yards themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like Those seem to be weaknesses, significant weaknesses they have going, you know, sort of in opposite directions where teams will be able to pass on
2: them, but they won't be able to pass on other teams, at least at times. Any other players you want to mention on South Carolina before we move on to the next team? Okay, so I'll take that as a no. No, not really. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll sort of continue, <laughs> and then like I said, feel free to
0: chime in at some point. So, uh, like I said, in my mind, to me,
2: you know, there's a few things that will. Uh there's some things where I said the arrow is pointed down, and like I said, for me, I think stuff lines. one of them. I'll sort of
0: roll through. I'm, I'm sorry.
3: What school we at? I'm sorry about that. Well,
0: the, okay. I was just going through the schedule for South Carolina. So, sort of talking about finding wins.
3: <laughs> you mentioned
0: how many yes, wins they might whoops, be
3: able to. pull it up.
0: Well, in terms of finding, like I said, finding wins. Like who who can they beat? It's right? Who can we beat? That's always a question, a big question, for a team like South Carolina. And they have a couple of, you know, quote-unquote guaranteed, and obviously sometimes even the guaranteed wins aren't guaranteed, but the way the schedule is built, you, you try it's to build it. in three, or you know, three basically almost guaranteed victories, right? You almost put those Ws on the schedule when you make it out. Now, the East Carolina game is no longer the gimme that it might have been a couple of years ago. They probably will still win it. But don't be surprised if that is a dog fight.
3: Um, Massachusetts is still, State? that's a loss.
0: Yeah, well okay. So right now I'm I'm we're trying to find the wins first.
3: Okay. <laughs> then we'll uh, go through the losses.
0: So East Carolina should be a win, but
3: you,
2: know, might,
0: you, you may not want to bet the house on it. And maybe Massachusetts should be a win. West Carolina should be a win. So that should be their three
3: guaranteed Carolina? wins. Yeah.
0: Right, that's what just said. So to review western
3: and western,
0: so. right, exactly. So right, the directional Carolinas are probably victories and Massachusetts, the you know, the sturdy but underpowered um Minutemen. So now let's go to the rest of the schedule. They open with Vanderbilt and what I think is a huge game for both programs. Vandy is a program that to me is sort of in the opposite situation of South Carolina where they this might be a breakthrough year for them where they might get to seven or eight victories. While for South Carolina, this is a game where it might be a dogfight to get to five victories. So I'm at the base of what I, I see right now, I'm going to put this in the bandy column as a win. Mississippi State. Their quarterback situation is unsettled, but I think, I think there's a better roster there, so I think that's a loss for them as well. So they could come out of the gate with two back-to-back losses. Pick up a win against East Carolina. The Kentucky game is one of those save-my-season games. If they can win that game, hey, now we're back, you know, in contention for bowl eligibility. If they lose that game, now
1: you're probably
0: not going to be bowl eligible because you could – Three losses in four, 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 game, four games. That's not, not good. Texas A&M, loss. Georgia, loss. Um, Tennessee, loss. Missouri,
1: probably a loss.
0: Florida's a loss. Western Carolina's a win. And Clemson, yeah. So, yeah, to me, their last shot at bowl eligibility, because here's the only path. Here's the path to bowl eligibility. They managed to beat Vandy, which I don't think they really will, but say they do. Now they've got to win. Then they lose. Then they win. So now they're two and one. Now they're three and one if they beat Kentucky. Then they lose and they lose and they win. So this is what they would take. If they beat Western Carolina, Massachusetts, Vandy, East Carolina, and Kentucky. Let me see something. Can they get the ball? Let's see.
3: Is it time for their head coach to go? no? No, come on. It's the second
0: year. It's not even his second year. What, actually, no. What are you, insane? It's his first year. I just, it's not even his second year. It's his first year, right? He, just got, he got hired a matter of months ago, Isaiah. I mean, these people are crazy, but they're not that crazy. Well. Plus, think of how much money they'd be eating. Come on. It's not, it's not that. First of all, I think they know their team isn't that good. I think they, they, they're not completely out of touch with reality. I think they realize this team's not that good. So let's just go through it one more time. Well, scenario. So here's the best. Here's the best case scenario. If they to, the, to get the bowl eligible, here's the best case scenario. Winning against Vandy, winning against East Carolina, winning winning against Kentucky, I guess into three. Massachusetts gets into four. Maybe they upset Missouri, gets into five, and then West Carolina gets into six. That's, that's to me. That's the only possible path to bowl eligibility is. A couple upsets in there. Um, if you manage to beat Vandy, managed to beat. Mandy, managed to beat um Missouri so they can pick up a couple of in conference wins, but so this
2: could be a getting blanked in conference kind of year if they aren't careful. Mhm. I still wanna fire him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um I
3: never see what I don't never want to see anybody fired, but there
0: People almost never get fired in their first season unless they do something wrong. Like beyond just losing a bunch of games, like slaps a player, you know, with a blackjack or, you know, fix uh, a, right,
2: a cleaning lady down the steps or gets caught using cocaine with a prostitute. Think of how few coaches have gotten fired in their first year in history as they have they has Steve Sarkisian ever found a
0: second job? Sorry, what, say that again.
3: Did Steve Sarkisian ever find another job after that beer incident?
0: Yeah, you will. It'll be at a lower level. He might have to go back to San
2: Jose State or something, but yes, of course we will get another job. Dude, okay. Bobby Vitrino got another job. Come on. Mm-hmm. That just us to
1: that brings intriguing. us
2: to brings us to Kentucky, yeah. another team another
1: team sort of on
0: the precipice what are they going to step up and become a contender in the east? are they going to step back and you know get basically you know watch Vanderbilt in the rear view I mean, rather they become a program that is fighting South Carolina to stay out of the the basement basically in the SECE. So once again,
2: good news. The good news is they've had some of their better recruiting classes recently. So there's talent. This is not a team that's you know, weak in terms of, of talent.
3: B five wins.
2: And Drew Barker
0: has a chance at quarterback to be what we were told that Patrick Tolls was going to be. A really good SEC starter. Of course, we heard the same thing about Morgan Newton. I mean, they keep signing these four-star quarterbacks, so we keep hearing it would be awesome. But this one might actually do it, or at least be very
2: good. Now, Steven Johnson and Drew Barker both have looked good throughout the spring. And Ryan Timmons. It's going to give
0: them a threat in the passing game, sort of working the intermediate. you got C.J.
2: Conrad, another guy who's unafraid of facing, you know, making contested catches. A guy who I think might make my honorable mention all underappreciated is linebacker Denzel Ware. He's
0: a guy that played, that started 11 out of 12 games as a redshirt freshman last year wasn't super productive, but I think he's going to break through this year at 15 tackles, 10 solos, and four and a half tackles for loss, and four sacks as a redshirt freshman last year. And I think he's going to double some of those numbers and triple some of those numbers. I think you might see him get maybe as many as eight sacks, nine or 10 tackles for loss, 20-something, 30-something, maybe 30-something solo tackles. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in around the 60 uh, total tackle range. So that's, that might be one of their better players on defense. Other guys to look out for, uh, Tahin King. I mean, they have, obviously, Boo Williams is their best running back, but uh, Tahin King has a chance to dispel him at times, put himself in the discussion for the number two. So there's some rather good news in some places. Uh, Kobe Walker is another
2: guy that's not important. I'm sorry. Well, except- here's, what here's what I'm saying. They have more
0: talent on the field than they've had in a while. So say what you want about Scoops. They've, they've been very successful in terms of recruiting.
3: They have about five wins this year based on their schedule. And,
0: they, you know, once again, I think five is realistic. I think six is possible. I think they have a better shot at six wins than South Carolina, though, who I think is more of a four win team. But. Let me just go through a few more guys. Um, Jeff Bidet is a guy that gives them some possible big play possibilities amongst Mm -hmm. their receivers. Um, I worry a little bit about their secondary, despite the fact that sort of Bob Stoops – not Bob Stoops, I mean uh, Mark Stoops' thing. I mean, that's his strong suit as coach. Uh, Coach Stoops was a really fine defensive back himself uh, when he was in college, and obviously – has coached defensive backs, and Mark Stoops has coached, you know, been a defensive coordinator and obviously now a head coach. He'll, he'll want his secondary to grow up and, and become a strength of the team sooner rather than later, but, you know, we'll see how that plays out. His D coordinator is Eddie Grand, and he's a really good teacher. He's not one of those amazing schematic guys where you, you, know, you go, wow, I've never seen that before. That's not his thing, but he's a good teacher. He's he's good at teaching guys fundamentals. And frankly, that's what this team needs more than, you know, a junior Bill Belichick-type uh, D coordinator. Uh, but as I mentioned, Bidet is their, another guy that I have on my all-emerging team. He's uh, on the third team. He's their most explosive playmaker on offense by far, one of the fastest if not the fastest player on the team.
2: Uh, a few other guys worthy of mention. Um well yeah, obviously uh Stanley A.K.A. Boo, Boo Williams. Boom Williams is another guy who's really,
0: really quick, um, has the ability to turn a little play into a big play. Not very big, but tough for his size. So that's you know, like I said, they've had a few players that I think have a chance to be good. Um, and maybe one or two players with a chance to be better than good. They don't have any players who are great yet or
2: ones that are likely to be great yet. But once again, that can change. So we mentioned, once again, another team that's going to have to find some wins and maybe steal
0: a win. Maybe they'll catch somebody on a day where there's a bunch of, you know, turnovers. Um, the other team commits five turnovers. That's not that's their way to bull up ability is they catch a team or two just having a terrible game. So yeah, they open them southern miss, which is probably a win, but will be much closer than I think people might might <laughs> might assume. Uh no. the Florida game is at the swamp. That's not a good thing for them. Then they've got New Mexico State coming into town for a nice nice victory, so that could put them at two and one. Then they got South Carolina. They could put them at 3-1, and and they're halfway to bowl eligibility already. Uh, the Crimson Tide, that's not, that's not a good thing for them. Uh, then Vanderbilt, that's, once again, if we're looking for a game to circles, that at home, October the 8th against Vandy. A win for Vandy probably does mean bowl eligibility for Vandy, uh, and then a win for Kentucky probably means bowl eligibility for them because that means four wins already. That means they only have to find two more wins the rest of the season. They still have Austin P on the schedule. So well, you will find you, another
3: one after this.
0: Well so that is the challenge, the right? That is the challenge. Obviously Mississippi State's a tough team. Then they have to go to Missouri. That's not great. Uh they have to Georgia. then Georgia comes Georgia comes to them. Then they have to go to Tennessee. That's probably a loss. So they pick up a win against
1: Austin mm-hmm.
0: P. So the Louisville game is I mean, the Louisville game is always a big game, but it's it might be their their last shot at bolo's ability because they did, I think they will have five wins by that point. Mm-hmm. So the question is, can they can they get the six against Louisville? So that's an enormously important game. That's an enormously important game
3: for them. I think uh, they had a really I, tough schedule after uh,
0: the Vanderbilt. Yep. Yep. Except of course for that that uh, one off against uh Boston pay, but yes, you're right. It gets rugged. Yeah. Once you with the exception of the Austin Peay uh, game, from the 22nd of October against Mississippi State until the season ends, they have one let-up, you know, no offense Austin Paye, but they have sort of one let-up, and the rest of it's just... Whew, I mean, are they a
3: good chance against Georgia? Georgia, you just never know.
0: Or Missouri, even. I mean, Missouri's got some issues on offense. I mean, <laughs> let's, not, let's not pretend that Missouri's going to be good on defense, because they pretty much always are, but that offense was not always amazing at times. I mean, they, they were inconsistent on offense last year. In fact, hey, let's stick with Missouri since you you talked since you just brought up Missouri. Another team another team that's very different from what we might have assumed they would be just a few years ago, uh, when Missouri first hit the conference, I kind of assumed they would – first of all, I didn't realize when they first joined that they'd be in the East. Like, well, how is Missouri in the East? But whatever. Um, I, guess, I guess that's just how the cookie crumbles. They had one of the softer schedules. Let's just be honest about it. So they 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 play I mean, they do go to West Virginia. That's not necessarily easy. But they've got Eastern Michigan coming to them. They've got Delaware State coming to them. LSU They have they have Middle Tennessee State coming to them. Well LSU, I'm going through the easy games right now. So LSU would not qualify. So they've got three once again, the sort of three guaranteed victories in Middle Tennessee State. Well that might be a tougher game than people realize, but probably a win. Delaware State, which should be a very easy win, and Eastern Michigan should be a very, very easy win. They should have three easy wins, all of them at home, right? Three easy home victories. The West Virginia game is very interesting. Uh, obviously, you'd like to win your first game of the season for a bunch of reasons. But this will be the, the, the story of their offense may well be shaped by what happens in that game. Not that West Virginia is a great, great defense, but if you struggle on offense against, but if you struggle on offense against West Virginia, you know now you've got to figure some things out very, very quickly. And
2: luckily, Eastern Michigan gets your chance to figure some of those things out. But then when you, but then Georgia comes to town, and if you haven't figured out your offense by the time Georgia comes to town, that's a definite ugly loss. Because
3: you're going to set end of bloodbath. But it could
0: be. It could be. That's what I'm saying. It could be if they don't figure out some things on offense. So, that's, to me, that's the, sort of the big early game. I mean, obviously, the first game is, is important, but, you know, it's out of conference and, you know, it's, it's a fun game and you want to win it. But can they beat Arkansas? Can they beat Arkansas?
3: They can.
0: Let's get into it. I mean, let's just look, look at the team and figure out where their strengths and weaknesses are. Let's do that. And then talk about, you know, what needs to get better, what might get worse, you know, all those things. It's what we do, right? So, obviously, the story of Matty Mock has finally come to an end, as we've talked about. And...
3: NFL career.
0: Well, I mean, obviously, it would have been tough anyway. I mean, the guy's probably five, ten, and three quarters, which is something that generally the NFL doesn't love. And... He was always kind of a guy that seemed to make his living mostly outside of the pocket. So, even without character, stuff, even without character stuff, it would have been, you know, tough. But doesn't go with the guys who were there. So what that did was it obviously accelerated the development curve of some of the younger quarterbacks because you know everybody moves up one notch when when something like that happens. You you can't wait as long on some of the guys you thought you were going to wait on. Some of the guys you you thought you know, might see some time in mop-up duty, might now be starters. Some of the guys that you might have redshirted are now your number two or your number three. And Barry Odom obviously comes in, you know, to bring a little more energy, change a few things. And they had a really good coach. I mean, let's not be crazy about it. Gary Pinkle was a very good coach. Uh, when he was diagnosed with lymphoma, it uh, affected the team mentally and I think he's still on the minds of especially the older players. I mean, the guys who were really close to him who have been a couple years in the program, I think will still have him in mind. And I wouldn't be shocked if he visited them at some point during the season. And, because, and, of course, he made his announcement that he was going to be stepping down one game prior to their biggest win of the season against BYU, who they upset 2016 last year. So, And then there was a protest. I mean, a lot happened, right? You know, so you had, uh, you know, Tom Wolf handling racial incidents that led to his resignation. I mean, it was a, an eventful year. So Barry Odom, who obviously the team knows well, had been their defensive coordinator for years, steps up. So he was a middle <laughs> linebacker with them, who I remember as a player. I have scouting notes on, on Barry Odom. Um, compact build, quick to diagnose, not great in coverage, but very good coming downhill. Uh, can make plays on the ball if the in the passing game with the plays in front of him. Yeah, I, I remember Coach Odom quite well as a player. So, uh, became a GA in 2003, director of recruiting in 2003-2005, uh, director of football ops from 2006-2008, and then he coached safeties 2009-2011, Became uh, went left to go to Memphis to be their defensive coordinator, then returned to become Missouri's defensive coordinator last year. And now he's the head coach. Well, here's their first issue. Obviously, we know about Matty Mock, and we, you know, discussed him as much as we can or should. Then, soon after that, Eddie Prince decided to to transfer. So they lost, essentially, you know, their number one and number three or two, depending on what you thought of Prince, amongst the guys in the quarterback room. So the only returning scholarship quarterbacks they have are Drew Locke, who I think is, you know, basically the guy. Marvin Zanders and they got a junior college transfer in in Jack Lowry. So, all three of those guys are to some extent in the mix. I mean, but I think it's basically, you know, the, the job to me is locks to lose. Uh, Harold Brentley and Terry Beckner, their two best prospects and two best, amongst their two best players, both got hurt in a car. Oh, no. Um, <coughs> <coughs> Well, Brantley missed the entire last year recovering from a car accident in June.
2: Uh, last year. And so but he's looked good. Uh, he's he's not a hundred percent yet, but
0: he should be by the time the season begins. And then Bettner Jr. was a four star recruit, had a good freshman year, was a, a second team, all freshman or all SEC freshman team or whatever you want to call it. Then Had a slight ACL tear late that year, set out practices, but apparently he won't even need surgery, so apparently rest will be enough and he should be ready to go by the time the season rolls around. But this is not the 2013-2014 Missouri team. Uh, This is not a team that, you know, is a one- or two-loss team or maybe not even a three-loss team. Uh, They are going to be, to me, in that second tier in the SEC East.
3: What, 7-8 wins, maybe?
0: Yes, I think seven or eight wins is completely possible, uh, quite frankly. And uh, and to me, Drew Locke's development. I mean, is a team that went five and seven last year anyway. Um, obviously, we talked about you know what what didn't happen, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, like. It seemed like everything that could happen, and we talked about all the stuff that happened. I mean, they had some of everything go on last year. It was amazing that the team managed to get to five wins. When you think about all the
3: stuff
0: that they went through last year. So with that being said, um,
3: you know, like I said, a lot. A lot happened. A whole lot happened last year. So... How do they keep finding all these real? I mean, really good defensive players. This they always
0: do. Really... Well, they always do. But once again, look at the backgrounds of their head coaches. That's the other thing they sort of kept. Pinkel, of course, was a really good defensive player himself in his day, and a defensive coach who was a really good defensive coach in his day. How
3: so translate, when... though? I mean, this is like—it seems really like the biggest example.
0: But that's. What... Like I said, that's how they build their team. That's what they build around. They build around defense, and then hope to get enough offense. And then when Matty Mott Ma came along, they, that was going to be the big change. Like now we're going to get to be an offensive team, and blah 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 blah, whatever. But okay, so getting back to their schedule in focus. To me, the Western Indian game is a push. I don't. I don't even have. I have. I have to think about this one some more. I don't I have a strong feeling yet.
2: Under my head. I'll give like, a
3: yeah, right. I mean, it's that's a tough one right now. So, yeah. I mean,
0: to me, it's a push. I, I'm not exactly certain. I'll come back to that game. Obviously, the submission game should be a win. The Bulldogs game true. is a, almost certainly a loss. Uh, the Delaware State game oh, yeah. is a win. LSU game.
3: Exactly.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're going to, you know, the Tigers' den. So that's a toughie. They get... Uh, a week off, and then they have to go to the swamp. I mean, that's a – I mean, obviously, that's why you put the bye week there, but that's tough, man. Mm-hmm. You go to LSU, then you go to Florida. That's brutal. I mean, so it's not – when I said it's kind of an easy schedule, I should have rephrased that. It's it's a it's a bleep sandwich of a schedule with some nice fluffy bread on each each side, but some real
3: –
0: that's a tough I mean, middle have, of your schedule.
3: Uh, middle Tennessee, that's the win. Well, so yeah, that's Milton's
0: a win. Eastern Michigan's a what? win. Delaware State's a win. Vanderbilt, that's another important game. We'll come back to the Vanderbilt game. Um, Arkansas, well, South Carolina's a win. Kentucky's a win. So that's three right there. Delaware State, you know. So, I mean, that's five, and we haven't even really touched the conference schedule in any serious way. The West Virginia game is going to get them bowl eligible if they win it, I believe, as well. And so now you're. You know, once if you get that win, you're basically almost guaranteed to be bowl eligible. Now you've got to figure out where you can pick up some wins in conference. Mm-hmm. The Razorbacks come to them. So they do they do play them at home. Uh, they, play the, they play the Volunteers on the road. So I think they have a chance to win the Razorbacks game, but I don't think they can beat the Volunteers. Even at home, I don't think they could, but especially not on the road. Vanderbilt comes to them, which I think gives them at least a 50-50 chance against the Commodores since they are coming to Furrow Field in beautiful Columbia. Um, like I said, it doesn't matter where they play South Carolina. I think South Carolina might be the worst worst team in the conference. Kentucky is a game base. they will win no matter where they play it. No, is a game they'll probably win, but just, like I said, that'd be a tougher than people realize. Whew, going to the Swamp, that's a loss. I think the LSU game is a loss pretty much wherever they played it.
1: So that's one, two, Are
0: you really
3: the backwards? Did I say it again? Are you in the official backwards or something? Could you read like, the last? No, I'm, game? I'm. I'm. Here's what I'm
0: doing. I'm. I'm telling you how they could contend. Contend, right? Okay. So, so here's here's so. First of, first we find the we, first we find the wins, right?
3: Then we find mm-hmm. the losses,
0: and then we find the pushes. I mean, in their case, they've got the games that could go either way. West Virginia, to me, could go either way. Uh, I, think, I, think could go either. I think the Kentucky game's will win. The bandy game, to me, could go either way, and the, the Arizona the – Arizona uh, the Arkansas game could go either way. To me, there's three games that could go either way. To me, they have pretty much four guaranteed wins and a couple of guaranteed you – know, at least two, maybe three guaranteed losses. And then they've got about three games that could go either way. Mm-hmm. And it's how they do in those three games that could go either
2: way that determines whether or not they're a contender, you know, for the conference. And that brings us to
0: the, uh, the mild cats. At least they've been mild recently, of late, of Kentucky. Another sort of team playing for its future. Oh, oh wait. We just need did, to take it away. Sorry. Take it back. Um, oh, wow. We're going through this fast than I thought. So let's see <laughs> that. That,
1: uh,
0: that leaves. Okay, Vandy. Right. So this is a team I think is a team on the rise. I think Vanderbilt is. Headed in the right direction, I think they're going to be at least bowl eligible, and I think possibly more.
3: Is this going to be as good as Jay Cutler's team? Possibly better. well I think they I think their total talent
0: level might be better than that team. And you're mm-hmm. taking it in total. I don't think they have a quarterback like Jay Cutler on the roster, but
3: uh, that like him then. Yeah,
0: you know, they probably won't. I mean that's the kind of program they are. They that's a guy that might come along once every twenty five, thirty years. But the total talent level, to me, is better. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they have a couple of guys on defense that I think are NFL guys. In Ralphie Webb, they have, to me, a top five running back in the conference that almost no one ever (laughs) seems to talk about. Uh, Mm -hmm. So,
2: yes. In terms of Vandy, they have been recruiting better than they
0: had in the past. I mean, not that, you know, it's not like Alabama recruiting or even Georgia recruiting, but it's for Vandy, they're getting it done. You know, they're they're getting the guys that they're supposed to get and getting one or two guys that they didn't used to get, if that makes sense. Derek Mason is an energetic, mentally, and, uh, you know, clued in emotionally upbeat, fired up, got a right?
3: receiver. Is it coaching?
0: Well coaching is everything in college football. I mean how many times no, have you no, said no, that? No,
3: no, no, no. um, I mean is this the I was asking, is this a former Ravens wide receiver, Derek Mason?
0: No, 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 no. I have got
3: to say <laughs> you're talking about coach and I wanna say what?
0: No, different completely different Derek Mason, about 12 years older and has been coaching since the, I think, late 1990s. So, no, definitely not not that.
1: Completely okay, different.
0: High. Yeah, no, completely different. So, continuing, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Vanderbilt has a couple of players who have made either my all underappreciated team or my all emerging team. So, that's a good news thing for them. They, they usually have one or two guys at most. They've got, like, four guys between those two teams this year. So, that means – that likely, like I said, you know things are are better than they've been in the past uh, they've managed to remain largely healthy throughout the spring, which for a team that even though they've got better talent than usual, they still aren't super deep mm-hmm. I mean when, you know which they never are I mean once again, it's a school like Duke or Stanford or whatever where they have a you know it's just tough because of the academic requirements you can't just stack up even. If, Everybody wanted to come. You can't take them all because of academics. <clears throat> but, yes, so Vandy has, like almost every other team in the conference, they need to figure out some things at quarterback. So let's just sort of roll, roll through Vandy. Um, they had two starters leave their offensive line, but they are still set at tackle. Uh, better at is going to be either center or guard, depending upon what happens. Uh Kyle Shermer is just a kid, obviously. Now, there's a a person who is the son of who you think it is. That is the son of uh, Fritz Shermer. But they didn't have much of a downfield passing attack. They did bring back a good number of their receivers. Uh, C.J. Duncan missed all of last year with a leg injury. He should return as well. But, yes, finding plays in the offense. I mean, Ralph Webb essentially has been their offense last year. Can they find a passing game? That's really a big, 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 big question. That's
3: the biggest of their questions. they got a good running game. They just don't have a good passing I mean, game. I don't know if the to, conference doesn't enough to hold a blocks for the quarterback either.
0: Well, to put, it, to put it in perspective, think about this. Against Western Kentucky, I'm not even talking about an SEC school. Against Western Kentucky last year, they converted two out of five red zone chances into points. Not, in, wait, not in touchdowns, points. Think about that. You have five shots in the red zone. Only two of them become points, not touchdowns, points. Uh, They were just 21 of 33 inside the 20, with six of those being field goals. So think about that. Of 33 times they got into the red zone last year, inside the 20, take out the six field goals. That's 15 of 33 touchdowns. That's a below 50% touchdown ratio when you get inside the 20. That's not great. And five of those 15 touchdowns came against Austin Pay. So once you extract Austin Pay, 10 of 28 against FBS opponents for touchdowns inside the 20. So, yeah. If they can get to average on offense, they've got a shot. They have a tremendous linebacker core. With Zach Cunningham, who I think is a future pro, and Nigel Bowden, who is a really good player. Nehemiah Mitchell is sort of that spur type who's one of those, you know, two hundred nine or whatever pound guys who, you know, know, can be a safety or a linebacker. The secondary is really, really good. Teron McGasker, a guy who's on my honorable mention, all underappreciated team. Oren Burks, who is the third team, uh, all underappreciated. So they have a really good secondary. So here's what they need. Uh, The defense did most things right last year for the most part, but they have to avoid penalties. They have to win the turnover battle. They were minus eight last year. Say they can get to zero, you know, even. Um, that would be great. If Kyle Shermer can, I mean, I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but he can be solid. And, of course, Ralph Webb is the man. On defense, like I said, the guys to watch, uh, junior linebacker, probably the best team player on the team, not named Ralphie Webb, in fact, is Zach Cunningham. Uh, lanky kid, 6'3 and change, about 233, 234 pounds, 103 tackles. Uh, can really run, can rush the passer. He's playing inside. I I think he might even project outside. If you're looking for an NFL comparison, the guy he reminds you most of is Matt Blair, but that was before your time. So if you're looking for a more recent guy, I guess you can go K.J. Wright. But he's really a lot like Matt Blair, even more like Matt Blair (laughs) than he is like K.J. Wright. But you've never seen Matt Blair play. But, you know, look it up. Number 59. uh, Had about a 15-year career with the those great Vikings defenses of the purple people leaders era. But, like I said, he and Ralphie Webb are definite pros, like guys who will play at the next level. There have been years when there's nobody on their roster You can say this guy's a definite pro. They've got at least two, and a couple of guys who I think have a legitimate shot beyond the two sort of slam dunk guys.
2: Uh, the development of Kyle Shermer is incredibly important. Just a sophomore. But he's got size, arm,
0: father, of course, is a extremely well-known NFL offensive coach. If he can just be average, this will be a 6-7 win team. If he can be above average, we could be looking at 8-9 wins, which would be, you know, gigantic to them. So the defense will be there, as we already said. Uh, Middle Tennessee, Tennessee State, and West Kentucky or Kentucky. Being those, that's probably four wins. Florida, okay. Ole Miss, mm, Tennessee. So that's probably three definite losses. So now the other – to me, all the other games are in play. They've got three pretty much definite wins, three pretty much definite losses, but every other game is a game they can win or can lose. Georgia Tech, they could win that game on the road. Uh, Missouri, they could win that game. South Carolina, that's a game I think they win.
2: So – well, you know, you tell me, what are you expecting from Vanderbilt this year? Still there? Isaiah? Isaiah?
0: Did we lose him?
3: Did I lose him?
0: I, okay, I lost him. Oh, well. continuing. So, that to me is an enormously important this is this is the biggest year in bandy football in a decade, basically, in my mind at
2: least. I think this might be the you know the biggest game. So anchor down, anchor down, as they say. I think the Commodores are are poised for their best year. Best year in who knows how long a while. <laughs>
0: Their best year in a while. It's been um, it's been a minute since Vandy football's been this good in my mind. And like I said, if they can just get average play at the quarterback position, think of how good they could be. You know, they don't need to be world leaders or killers. They just need to be, you know, okay. If they can be okay at the quarterback, I mean. After the, you know, they had the Pat and Robinette thing and then Johnny McCrary and then uh, whoever, you know, sort of come and go uh,
2: to have, you know, a guy that, once again, obviously Shermer is probably their most hyped quarterback recruit, you know, since the days of –
0: Maybe you know, since the days of uh,
2: of Jay, they've signed some pretty good recruits. They added uh, Adam Sparks recently to their
0: 2017 class. I just think, like I said, the arrow's pointed up. Even if it's a seven-win season, which I think is highly likely, I think. Overall, this is going to be a successful year either way. And I think they could conceivably break into the eight-win area, which is, you know, for Vanderbilt, that's that's making it happen. You know, that's, that's – that's, it doesn't happen every year that they are a team that we talk about as a legitimate shot at eight wins. I think this team has a legitimate shot at eight wins. I think they are a contender. I think they are going to be in the mix with Florida and Georgia, maybe just a step behind, you know, maybe just a step behind those two, but I don't think they're way behind, you know, I guess. So that's. Um, I think Derek Mason is the right guy. I think they made a extremely smart hire when they brought him in. I think this is the year that people really begin to recognize that. Uh, I have Coach Mason as one of the coaches
2: on my all-emerging team, you know, one of the coaches on the all-emerging team. And so, like I said, all the to me, almost all of the arrows are pointed in the right direction for Vanny this year. They have sort of a Dexter McClusker type uh, in McLean Mannix, a guy that
0: looking forward to see what happens with him. Just a kid. I mean, you know, he's just a recruit at this point. They brought in Jacob Free, uh, Grant Milner, and Bryce Bailey. Jacob Free will be another one of those guys that has a chance to be one of their better quarterbacks, uh, 6'3 and change, 198 pounds. McLean Mannix is a kid that's about five, nine and a quarter, about 173 and very, very quick. Two big tackle types, both of them, six, four and three quarters. One 275-ish, one about 292. Uh, Miller is wider of the two, Bailey a little bit bigger. And some of these guys you guys you just have no chance to sign in years past. Jalen Pinkney is a guy that I just don't, don't think would have gone to Vandy in the past. Adams Sparks, the kid, I don't think would have gone to Vandy in the past. Pinkney's a D-end, outside linebacker, projection, who's about six two and a half, two hundred twenty-eight 228 pounds. Sparks is 5'11 and change, about 177. Uh, Who else is really worthy of mention? Deo Adabienjo is a a big, lanky, uh, edge type. They're getting two, three, four kids that just wouldn't have seriously considered Vanderbilt in the past. You know, they would have, some of these guys would have been talking to South Carolina, right? But South Carolina's uh, struggles, right, help, um, struggles help, uh, because Vandy's getting better as, you know, Kentucky is still sort of finding its way out of the woods, and South Carolina's getting worse. So, yes, I said all that to say this. They're getting better. This is a better team than it's been in a while, with a legitimate shot to be in the mix. Probably not to win the SEC East, but to throw a scare into some people, right? I think that's how I would put it. I think they have a chance to really throw, some, throw a scare into some people. That's what I would say. That's what I – and that's what I believe. That's what I'd say. It's uh, what I believe, that they are going to
2: probably win a couple of games, a game or two that people aren't expecting them to win. And I truly believe that,
0: that at least one, maybe more. So, yeah, I I I, I like this team. They're, that's what it comes down to. I like this team. I think they're doing it right. They're heading in the right direction. I think they're going to pick up all the wins that are sort of obviously there, and then maybe one or two games that are less obviously there for them to win. That's what I, I truly do believe, that they they have a real chance to do some things, get some things done. So if indeed they are the third best team in the conference, which I think they might be, you know, that'll be news, news-ish, news newsworthy. So that leaves us on the east side with, you know, the two big dogs, uh, Georgia and Florida. And I guess I'll go in,
3: in that order. Uh, Georgia than Florida.
2: Uh, Things have changed, obviously, in Georgia. Things have changed
3: after having a lot of
0: uh, stability, which is usually a good thing. Sort of like with the Lloyd Carr situation at Michigan. You know, winning nine games every year got boring to people.
2: Coach Rick has been thanked for his many years of service and politely shown
0: the door. And he very classily said great things about the program on his way out, which is to be expected. He's an amazing man and finds himself back at uh, Miami,
2: where, as we discussed when we talked to ACC, where we think he will do good things. So he decided to get smart, as the old TV show was titled.
0: And apparently going to be a little more of a defensive-minded team. (laughs) Uh, they've always had good defenses, obviously, or not always. Is they always? But they've usually had good defenses. They've had the occasional struggle on defense, but for the most part, Georgia is a recruiting powerhouse. That is unlikely to change. Kirby Smart was a really good recruiter in his time at Alabama. He understands recruitment. He already had a pretty good reputation with recruits nationwide. He's recruited nationally for many years, and it's not like it's – Georgia's never going to be a hard sell. Anyway, uh, it's a good program with great support, with terrific heritage and history. They win a great deal all the time, no matter what. Anyway, and did I mention there's a 1,000 guys, you know, who play in the NFL from there who – Come back, and we'll tell you about how Georgia helped to prepare them to be great in the NFL. I mean, they basically all of the structural advantages, they're not that off, far off from Alabama or somebody like that in terms of LSU or whatever, in terms of structural advantages. The things that are in place to help a program to be good and stay good, they have almost all those things in place. They brought in Jacob Eason, who, of course, is the son of Tony, a terrific Cleveland quarterback at Houston, Illinois had uh, about a seven- or eight-year NFL career, high football IQ guy, lanky but with a good arm, and his son is even bigger with an even stronger arm, and they're expecting, you know, not good but great things. The only question is when. I mean, is he going to be amazing right out of the box? It looks like it's his job to lose. They have some other guys, and George is planning to probably not be too quarterback-centric either way. Well, you know, whether they're playing it or not, they might have to – He might have to put some games in his hands, but I think the intention
3: I'll put it that way, I think the intention is to,
0: you know, ride Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle as much as possible and try to take some of the pressure off of the true freshman quarterback. But Jacob Easton was a superstar recruit, you know, out in the Pacific Northwest, found his way, you know, all the way back to the southeast. Has been around the game, you know, literally since his inception.
1: You know he's
2: he's
0: uh, a guy that understands the game at a high level and a little bit of a gunslinger. You know, a guy will occasionally put the the ball into some questionable places, but usually has a good concept behind why he did it. You know, a guy that usually knows why. Even makes a mistake, he knows why he made it, which is what quarterback coaches and coordinators wish for. I mean, guys are gonna make mistakes, but you don't want to have to tell the guy who the mistake. Made. You maybe want him to know it when it. The thing that scares you is when you ask the guy, "Hey, do you know what you did wrong there?" and he's like, "Nope." <laughs> That's when you're like, you know, "You know, you try to remember where you put that flask in your office." So the good news is that he is a guy that he is a guy that understands the game. You know, been around the game literally since he was an infant and, and they're hoping that he continues to grow and he may be he may be he may be the guy, you know, already. I'm hearing things that indicate he may have been the guy almost from the moment that he signed, but if indeed he is the guy as a true freshman, uh, they're gonna, like I said, they're going to try to see if they can you know, not have it all, be all him all the time, but there will be a couple of games. Game plan be darned where he's going to have to come through for them to win, and we will all find out together if he's if he is truly the guy. You know, Who what they we call the starter. That guy may not be the guy. And we've all seen all the stories and all the times when a guy he's supposed to be the guy, and we all hear about him, and he's a you know, five star and whatever. And then, you know, year and a half later, he's transferring. You know, Kevin Olson was supposed to be the guy at one point when he went to Miami. Remember that? Remember those days? And now he's at Charlotte, and I hope things work out. But you know, there's a long story history of guys who were supposed to be the guy, and then somebody else is the guy. Now, Joe Montana wasn't supposed to be the guy. There were many more, more heralded players at quarterback on that roster. But yes, rolling forward, uh, running back, obviously. I mean, everybody knows. It's, even if the top two, the guys everybody knows, were to go away, they've got you know the third and fourth best running backs are good enough that they could put them out there and continue to win football games. They they aren't they aren't hurting for running backs in Georgia ever. And this year particularly is no no exception where they have two players that most people consider to be NFL quality running backs. Their offensive line will be it's super important, which is always the case for any team, but will be very important for a team with a young quarterback. So here we have Smart coming off of ten years spent with Nick Saban, we have Rick leaving after fifteen years. We have a team that came off a ten-win season, beat Penn State in the Tax
1: Slayer, I
0: believe, what they call it, bowl game. Uh, I do. I, I'm not. I'm not always an old funny day, but I do long for the days when we didn't have to call bowl games Tax Slayer. Uh, they bring back fourteen players that were. Very integral to them last year, including obviously Nick Chubb. There's a few things to look out for. So, Grayson Lambert, 2,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, only two interceptions, guy with good frame, a guy that has sometimes looked good. The South Carolina game obviously stands out, but there are times when he was less than amazing. We talked about obviously Ethan. Uh, they have other capable quarterbacks uh even beyond those guys. Um you know, Bryce Ramsey is still sort of in the mix, but my understanding is that if it's if it's a tie, the <laughs> it made the, you know, the push, they make make that easy. Uh let's see. I mean, obviously you saw the one, two punch a few years ago the Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall. Sony Chubb, Sony Chubb. Sony Michelle, see I'm combining them, like Gershall Uh Sony Sonny Michelle and, and, and obviously now with Nick Chubb. Chubb's back obviously coming back off of injury. He had a very unpleasant looking um uh knee ligament tear last year. Well on his way to you know a fifteen hundred plus yard season. They held him on of spring drills, but my understanding is he looked good
2: and much is expected. Sam Pittman is a terrific offensive line coach. He had a lot of
0: success at Tennessee and Arkansas. He's worked with Juwan James, Zach Fulton, James Stone, Denver Kirkland, and Sebastian Tachola in the past. He's really well-known, not only for technique stuff, but just getting the best out of players as a motivator. Their offensive line should take a step forward, and if it does, that would be – I mean, like I said, it's important for every team. It's particularly important for this team. So they do have to replace John Fias, who was probably their best offensive lineman. They have to replace Colton U- uh, Houston, who was on the roster for six years. They do bring back Greg Pike. So I think rebuilding might be strongly putting it, but they definitely need to move some things around. On defense, uh, Jake Gaines is gone. Leonard Floyd's gone. Jordan Jenkins gone. Chris Mays, Sterling Bailey gone. The only. Returning starter is Tim Kimbrough. That's the only place where they were, they were sort of
2: devastated. I guess is their is their front seven depth, particularly on the offensive. line. I'm sorry, defensive line. If you know a former linebacker to if Kirby Smart can really help the linebackers to develop,
0: that will help them to to still have a a defense capable of making plays. Trent Thompson, Jonathan Ledbetter, Lorenzo Carter, all good players. Well, one of them make him a great player. That would be great for them. So, expectations, right? This is a team that people, you know, obviously Georgia fans, particularly, think could be a, or often, have often thought could be not just an SEC but national championship contender. This is a team where nine and ten win seasons don't really impress people. <laughs> I mean, that gives you a you know an idea, an insight into you know what people expect, what people think. Whether or not people like 9 win seasons, I think this year they ought to be satisfied or maybe
2: satisfied. I think it should be... Um, I think we should give the new staff a little while <laughs> to, uh,
0: to settle in and, you know, learn the players and teach the players. So finding... Can we find nine or ten wins
2: on the roster, I mean, on the uh, schedule? I think we probably can. Can they win the SEC East? Frankly, yes.
0: Um, it's it's an interesting thing. It's a fascinating thing, quite frankly. This, uh, this particular team, the only team where I think they don't have a talent advantage pretty much across the board probably is the Florida game. So, in almost every game, they or maybe almost every game they play this season, uh, with maybe just a couple of, of exceptions, they're going to be expected
2: to have more talent on the field. So that's, yeah,
0: enormously important, I guess is what I could, would say. It's
1: enormously
0: important. It's normally important for any team. To me, it's especially enormously important for them getting off to a really good start, uh, sort of establishing early, earlier rather than later, uh, what kind of team they're going to be, getting getting whoever the quarterback is, and you know I think it probably will be Easton if not immediately then at some point, getting him some confidence, uh, getting him some. Protection, right? <laughs> you know, there we go. Um, I think that would be super, super,
2: super, 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 super important. I mean, there's a few things that I think are super important. But if
0: I think if they get off to an early start, I guess we'll start off with that. They get off to a good start. They show that they're going to, you know, hey, avoid turning the <laughs> turning over the game, turning over. Um, Uh, Turning over games, turning over the ball. Thank you. Uh, They can avoid giving away games, right? Number one, don't give away games. Like that's, from the time I was like eight, people (laughs) let me know, hey, let's try not to give this game to that team. Let's start with that. So in terms of the
2: structure of the team, and then we'll, you know, we'll finish off with Florida. This is a team where they, you know, we've heard there's a chance you may see,
0: you know, um, more than one quarterback throughout the season, right? Um, Which, you know, could be a good thing or a terrible game thing. If If it works, you know, if they play two quarterbacks and it works, then it's brilliant. And then, of course, if they play two quarterbacks and they look terrible doing it, then it's you know the stupidest thing ever, and why would you do that? But I think one of those guys will probably by the you know opening game of the season will have told us, you know, established for us who the act. We'll know who the guy is. I think earlier than some of us. I think they may know actually, whether or not they're sort of saying openly who the guy is. I think they know who the guy is. <laughs> so I guess. That's what I'm saying about that. I said all that to say, to say I think they know who the guy is internally. I think they actually know. And I think probably all things being equal is probably Eason. So if indeed that is the case, they're going to do certain things to try to, like I said, keep, the, keep it easy for him, keep it simple for him uh, early on, try to reduce his number of downfield reads, try to simplify certain things. And once again, obviously running the football. I mean, they would have wanted to do that anyway. I mean, that's, no matter what, they were going to want to run the football. That's not really a uh, not really a surprise. So, back on April 16th, when they had their G day, as they call it, their spring game, uh, certain things, not surprisingly, were were on display, and, and other things were held, you know, close to the vest. And I'm going to quote. Uh, Coach Smart, here's his quotes. I just want to tell everybody how great it is to be back home. I love the energy and the passion here tonight. We want to see the same energy and passion of the spring game. We want to see 93,000 there to come out and support us. The easiest thing in, in recruiting is when your fan base is united and everybody's pulling in the same direction. That's what we need. That's what we want. That's what we expect. We want to get that done. So he said that at a uh, basketball game shortly after his getting the job, getting hired. I don't think um, that it was – I mean, obviously, they, they did get a lot of the support that he expected. I think that, you know, he has to be careful what he wishes for. Like, the there's a downside to some extent to getting everybody, you know, super whipped up into a frenzy. don't
2: say downside, but uh, – when that happens, when you do have that play and that game play out, people are
0: going to, um, you know, take away, uh, you know, things from it. Besides that Ludacris got 65 grand uh, to show up and give him a few moments of performance. Good for you, uh, Ludacris. Well done. But, uh, I guess the thing that people focused on, have focused on, will focus on, and I'll spend, I guess, just this one last thing talking about, and then move on. So uh, to Florida, uh, competition, right? Grayson Lambert and and um, Bryce Ramsey, and of course, young Mister Ethan. Those are players that you know everybody has has paid close their attention to them. Uh, Shakiri Wilson became a wide receiver after being, you know, one of the reserve tailbacks. Tate Crowder is another guy who's part of the running back depth. Of course, we talked about Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. A.J. Terman has announced he's like going to transfer or looking for a transfer. Brendan Douglas was limited with a wrist injury. So th- maybe he's not quite the level of depth that people were Hoping for, expecting, whatever term you want to use at the back position, but they're still I, – I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not worried about their, their depth there. Uh, I, I think they have more than enough. Uh, Lambert himself is uh, 6'4 and 3'8, 221 pounds. Just Georgia. In his career, he's averaged about 181.3 yards per game, 59% completion. Uh, he's passed for ten touchdowns in his career, and has passed for fifteen interceptions in his career, which is not ideal. So that's uh, part of what the the concern has been about him in the past. And of course, you know, obviously the the excitement uh, has always been about East. I mean, that's the the buzz, the whatever term we use hype, buzz, whatever term, has always sort of centered around around Jacob Eason. And, you know, like I said, you know, just sometimes ludicrous and outside, ludicrous, not the performer, ludicrous, <laughs> the, the term and outsized expectations built around, you know, someone who's not yet seen their 19th birthday. Even should he win the job, you know, he certainly has a chance. Um, what Smart himself would like is a pro-style system with a quarterback who's a run. Not necessarily that you have to. I'll quote him here. It's not that you have to be Nick Marshall or Cam Newton, but you have to, be able to get out of trouble, which makes sense. I mean, every successful quarterback has been able to do that. Uh, Grayson Lambert is not a terrible athlete, but, you know, he's obviously no Mike Vick or not even Brett Favre in turn, or,
2: or Tony uh Robo in terms of that. Now Bryce Ramsey, um, uh, Ethan
0: and Lambert. Uh strength and weaknesses. They all have good arms. There's not a weak arm in the bunch. Ramsey is the most athletic, obviously. Ethan's a good enough athlete and Lambert is I mean, um, yeah, Lambert's uh he's not exactly a runner. Um you know he can move around a little bit. Uh, Jacob is a guy who's got good pocket movement. So yeah, um, amongst the ones who, you know, are at the top three, only one of them's really an athlete in terms of being able to really do something with his with his legs. Uh Jim Cheney and Jeremy Pruitt are essentially going to make their units on offensive defense look a lot like Alabama. Uh not really a shock. Big offensive linemen. You know, they're going to recruit big guys and then get them bigger. Don't be surprised if they don't do the same thing on defense. Ethan is practiced with the first, second, and third team at times. You know, so I don't know how much you want to read in that. I don't read too much into it, quite frankly. Um, but that's been the big spring storyline. You know, the returning of the
2: health of Nick Chubb, sort of the secondary one, but the primary storyline has been uh you know regarding Easton and
0: Ramsey and uh and Lambert. Those each of those guys has at times looked good in practices and of course in the case of the two guys who are returning, even looked times at good at times in games and then obviously struggled at times as off as well. So, like I said, it, the the prevailing wisdom, as far as I can tell, you know, which you know, tea leaf reading, I'm something I'm not great at, but I'm attempting. Uh, but Eason, here's what comes out: Eason is, as he said, as advertised. Kirby Smart's playing his cards he's super close to the vest, but looking even at the spring game, which you want to be careful about putting too much stock. Uh, Bryce Ramsey went 16 of 25 or 224 yards. Lambert was 11 of 22 for 140 yards. Nick Robinson, a walk-on, uh, was 5 of 7 with a touchdown, but it's Eason that, you know, was the, you know, whatever term way to use, the showstopper, whatever. 19 to 29, 244 yards and a touchdown. And he made a couple of, of like, he made a um, a throw on a corner route that showed accuracy, touch, and arm strength that got people all, you know, whatever your turn way to use. Um, so Klimt warm and runny, you know, all those things. Uh, So he has all the stuff, you know, size, intelligence, all the stuff. I, I won't be shocked if he isn't the day one starter, but I'll be shocked if he doesn't play at some point this year. That's what I am saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if he doesn't start a single game this year, if he doesn't start a single game this year, I will be shocked. I will not be shocked if he's not the day one starter. I will be shocked if he doesn't start at least one game. I think he'll start multiple games. So I guess my that's my read. He will start, in my mind, I think he'll start three or four games minimum, and he could be he could even be the day one starter. I think that they, they may give Lambert or, or Ramsey a chance early on. I wouldn't be shocked if day one, it's the first first season, if Ethan was even the third straighter. Wouldn't blow my mind at all. But I'm, I mean, he's not in a red shirt. You know. So he's going to be available to go in should uh, should, should they need him, I will be, like I said, utterly shocked if you don't see him start multiple games this year. And yes, you know, as advertised, as all the, you know, all the hype, all the whatever, you saw that when he actually took the field. Now, as you pointed out that all the Georgia quarterbacks looked good, as I mentioned, four of them went out there, four of them looked good. Okay. So let's knock through the schedule and then spend the last, part of the show on Florida, and then, of course, next week will be the West. They open with a definitely losable game, quite frankly, against North Carolina. Uh, The Tar Heels are another sort of stealthy good team that had a really good season. Last year came within an eyelash of perhaps beating Clemson. So, yes, scary team. Then they get a nice little rest against Nickel State. A it's not that it's so much that they're an FCS team, it's that they're they're not exactly a powerhouse FCS team. Then they go to Farrow Field to play the Tigers of Missouri on the road. Then they have to go to Ole Miss. That's definitely a losable game. I think they beat Missouri though. They may pick up their first loss against Ole Miss. The Tennessee game is incredibly important. I think they win both the South Carolina and Bandy games. Then Florida. I'll come back to the Florida game. I think they beat Kentucky. I think they beat Auburn. I think they beat Louisiana Lafayette. I think they beat Georgia Tech.
2: So, one, two. Yeah, to me, this is at least a nine-win team.
0: Like, I I think the over-under is right there at 9. 10 is possible. 11 is possible, though I doubt it. I think anything less than 9 would be seen as, well, once again, it's below the sort of rick mark of 9 wins. But also, with the talent on the team, I think people would be uh, disappointed. If they lost to Carolina, people would be super disappointed. If they lost to Missouri, people would kind of lose their minds a little bit. I think people would understand if they lost to Ole Miss. and think they'd kind of understand if they lost to Tennessee, you know, and then, and then Florida. Uh, I don't think they'd understand any other losses, quite frankly. I think they would rightly be somewhat enraged if there were any other losses. So, brings us to, last but certainly not least, the Florida Gators. Another team with something of a quarterback battle, I think it's essentially been put to bed, I saw things from Luke Del Rio that made me feel like he is going to be a solid, at very, very minimum, a solid SEC starter. And I know the well-traveled Mr. Del Rio, who, uh, you know, has now his third and, you know, final, I would assume, destination. But uh, things about him, I mean, he has – you know, he walked on to Alabama, and I think it was more about wanting to be at Alabama than anything else. I don't think it was a super great fit. Uh, then from there to Oregon State, where frankly it was a better fit, but with coach with the coaching change there. I mean, he's a guy that could have gone to Oklahoma State, Oregon State, or Colorado State immediately. Transferred to go to play for Mike Riley, then Mike Riley left. So I'm not, you know, giving him a lot of guff or whatever about it. I think. The moves he made were moves that made sense. Uh, Coach Anderson had nothing but good things to say about him when he did transfer out uh, of Oregon State.
2: So, you know, back in 2013, you know, he was still on
0: campus at Alabama, then 2014, you know, he's at Oregon State, 2015, he transfers, like I said, for the, I'm assuming the last time, and lands
2: at Florida. He showed a lot of maturity to me. He showed command of the offense. And though he's not a
0: super athlete, he showed he could move around. If he didn't look like he was a statue back there. Uh he's not a huge kid. He's about six two and a quarter, probably about two hundred and seven or so pounds which nowadays is undersized, Uh,
2: used to be almost dead on average for an NFL quarterback just about 20-something years ago. But he has a a golden opportunity. He looked really good in the spring game, went 10 of 11 for
0: 170 yards and two touchdowns. And once again, I know you don't want to put, put too much into a spring game, but he really looked like he understood what he was doing out there. Despite the fact that he hadn't been on campus that long, so I, I feel really good. He's on my all-emerging team, uh, second team all-emerging quarterback, Luke Del Rio. I think he's about to establish himself, you know, as as a dude, right? As a as a guy. So, if he, to me, especially on offense, this team goes as Luke Del Rio goes, and I'm expecting.
2: You know, big things. I mean, I can't even know how to put it. I mean, it, it, I'm expecting big things. I'm expecting him to, uh,
0: like I said, be the guy all year long, uh, barring injury. I think he looked, of all of the guys I saw up there, he looked the most like he understood and knew not only what to do but when and how to do Uh Decision making to me is everything at the quarterback position, and he's clearly the best decision
1: maker.
2: Though it's somewhat close, but we'll get, like I said, we'll get into it. Once again, another team that's just got players all over the place. Future NFL
0: dudes, you know, from you know, Tabor, and I mean, just a bunch of guys. We'll, we'll go through them all, uh, or most of them. <laughs> we'll discuss them. We've got time. The way the team is built, the way the team is constructed. Another team that would like to run the football, they, they're they still figuring out some of how they're going to get that done.
2: But they certainly have more than enough of everything, <laughs>
0: at every every position you want to name. Uh, they did, however, have, you know, some struggles in terms of, okay, well, I guess we'll
2: just uh, – Let's go through it. So, uh, in terms of the the quarterback play, which is what we were just discussing, the the orange and blue or whatever it is
0: uh, with quarterbacks, you know, wearing the non-contact jerseys. Uh, important this year, important every year, right? But some of the things that, that I think you can, can and perhaps should keep an eye on,
2: development of their receiving core is important. They've got to figure out the situation with some of their um, guys who've had some
0: uh, troubles. Uh, they've had a wide receiver transfer out. They've had a few things that few things have happened. Uh, they do have you know, a new AD coming in, but I don't think that's going to be a big deal for them, quite frankly. I don't think it's going to have an enormous effect on the team's anything, quite frankly. I think that uh, this is a team that is built to win the SEC East probably again this year. I think that there's not too much that has to get way better, except, like I said, better quarterback play. Um, or at least get back to where they were in terms of quarterback play before they they lost. Um, you know, they lost a few things, clearly. But as
2: this team moves forward, there's certainly a few things to, uh, you know, to sort of dig into and will be part of, you know, what you have to figure out. Now,
0: unsurprisingly, they've done very, very, very well in recruiting. So they have, should something happen, uh, always, they are one of those teams that doesn't have to think, oh, God, what what's going to happen if blah, blah, blah gets hurt. Uh, if one of the guys goes down and almost any position you can name, they've got guys. They've, they've got have <laughs> they got guys.
2: There are dudes for them at whichever position you would like to name, whether it be quarterback, whether it be running back, defensive end, outside linebacker.
0: I mean, name. Name one, right? Name whatever, whatever the position is, should someone go down, should someone, and, you know, hey, transfer, whatever it is, it doesn't, Exactly mangle them. So let's just go through it. I think Del Rio's a guy. I think Del Rio's solid. I'm thinking 2,600-ish yards passing, 19 touchdowns, seven-ish interceptions. You know, somewhere around there. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking somewhere like that. I'm thinking
2: somewhere in that in that range as uh, a they go forward. Uh, other things to keep an eye out on. Uh, can they find a guy,
0: the guy, a guy who's going to be the guy amongst their receivers? This is a team that used to be, you know, obviously it was in a different, slightly different time period, but used to be one of the great factories almost in terms of wide receivers getting drafted year in and year out. Clearly, a step has been taken, you know, in another direction in terms of producing talent in the wide receiving core. Uh, They haven't had a guy as talented as Harvin or even Chad Jackson who flamed out in a while. They've had guys who were hyped. You know, we kept hearing about some of these guys. Oh, this guy's going to be
1: great,
0: you know. um, Their best receiver is a kid that, can attend classes, and can use facilities, but (laughs) well, I guess we will have to talk about the calorie situation. Um, I don't like to get too deep, especially when things are still settling out into a young man's decision-making process and problems and things that have happened. These are young men. They're not just football players. They are young men who are trying to figure out
2: how to be men. And do they make mistakes? Yes. Intellect Callaway is a guy that potentially could be one of the best players on the team. But there's an ongoing investigation
0: regarding a violation of the uh, Student Code of Conduct. It has been in place for what, since January of 2015? Uh, Trayon Harris, obviously. Similar situation. Uh, there's a sexual battery complaint regarding Treyon
2: Harris in 2014. There is a chance that he can return to the team. And,
0: you know, I, like I said, I don't want to get too deep into anything legal, but if indeed the young man has not been found guilty of a crime, and whatever the school's judicial proceedings are in terms of how this plays out, and what he did and didn't do. I guess unless and until something has been definitively proven, he should be allowed to be around the program. I am, as I've said many times, a father of a daughter. I am very sensitive to any issues that touch upon abuse of young women. It uh, To say it concerns me would be an enormous understatement.
1: <sighs>
0: so, all that to say they need someone to emerge amongst their receiving core and become A guy, the guy, productive, consistent, uh, accountable. If their receiving core can, as a whole, even if there's nobody who's a superstar, if as a whole the entire group is productive, consistent, and accountable, I think Coach McElwain will count that in the win column. I think that, that will be enough for him to say we've you know, something something important has been accomplished. And in terms of the way the team is constructed, like I said, I don't think they'll need to lean too heavily on their receivers, but they just need, you know, people to show up. I guess I'm driving it. They do need people to show up. They need people to
2: be a little more than, you know, just guys, essentially. So,
0: um, off Fullwood, baby, this could be your chance. This could be your opportunity.
2: Somebody, this should be someone's opportunity. Someone. Uh, but yes, they. That's probably their greatest opportunity for improvement as a team
0: is the passing game, and not just the quarterback's end of it. Though
2: I think they will be better, at least you know, back to where they were before a lot of things happened. So that's, you know, that's the team. (laughs) That's that's their team. Um, I mean, in terms of that, moving on, moving forward. Um, the running back core, right? There's a team that, as I mentioned before, I mean,
0: it's, you, know, you say that's about every team in the SEC. You want to run the ball more, want run the ball more and more effectively. That's everybody. There's no team in the in the entire SEC that isn't looking to be better at running the football. To Everybody wants to lean on the running game. That's not... Hardly a shocker, I guess what I'm saying. Not really a shocker, not really a, oh, wow, really? Running the football more, wow, didn't do that coming. Like that's sort of a, you know, pinned post or whatever. You could say that about virtually every team imaginable in the conference, that they're looking to be more run heavy.
2: They're looking to essentially get to third and two. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think that's what it comes down to. I think they would like to be
0: in third and two or something like that more often than not. I think they would like to avoid third and four or more. And I think they'd like to punt. You know, I, I think they'd avoid like turnovers. Once again, it's football one-on-one stuff, but I think particularly the way this team is built, because the defense is going to be the defense. You know, the defense is going to be the defense. The defense is going to probably be very, very good, if not great. You know, and I I could see them possibly being great, but I can't see them being anything less than very, very good. And here's a program that got somewhat spoiled by having, you know, and this is sort of, I mean, think about this. Hall of Fame coach Steve Spurrier, and then, we got Hall of Fame coach Irvin Meyer, both of whom won SEC championships. When you become the head coach at Georgia, expectations are super, 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 super high. This year, last year, next year, every year. Uh, they are going to lose some people to transfer. I mentioned at least one of them, another wide receiver uh, is playing to transfer or I think has transferred at this point. So once again, it opens things up, I guess, for another, yeah, another receiver. So with Ryan Souza moving on to, you know, I'm guessing, I'm assuming he's going to move down to, you know, an FCS school
2: or maybe if he's looking to stay in state, maybe one of the, you know, FAU, FIU kind of situations. He was originally a signee with Florida State and then changed his
0: uh, commitment. I I've heard that he may likely end up at uh, UCF, which would probably be a good fit, very close to where he grew up, and he would see the field early and often
2: uh, there, while he would probably be sort of mired in a battle for the... You know, fourth, fifth, maybe. And actually,
0: um, SIU, I think is where he actually ended up. So there you go. Good, good get for them. Um, Kyle Trask really impressed me amongst the quarterbacks facing up the quarterback discussion. Looked really, 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 really good. And The more hyped Felipe Franks certainly flashed, um, you know, the talents that got people super excited about him. But, frankly, to me, Trask just looked much more ready to play at the the big-time college level. So, once again, more opportunities for someone to emerge at slot receiver should you... You know, should you want to do that? Should your goal be to emerge? Uh, there's there's some abilities, there's some opportunities, there's some chances. Whatever term you're looking for to to do that, to establish yourself there. And you know, the calorie situation means there's opportunities to emerge as the X. I mean, there's there's chances, there's opportunities, there's a there's a place for you if you are looking for a chance to
2: to be the man, right? To uh, So let's see. Who else or what else were they mentioned? Let's see. Uh,
0: they had Jake McGee a little while back, and how you say so he was a, a transfer in from uh, UVA? He gave them a very solid, dependable tight end. Uh, the tight end position since then has not been manned by anyone quite so complete I guess in terms of being able to, to give you some blocking as well as be a pass receiver. I think they would like to have somebody who do both. They certainly have a lot of guys who can run
2: <laughs>
0: you know, who are just sort of giant receivers. Um, they do have yeah, I mean there's a lot of good things. You know, I guess or whatever we put it. There are a lot of good things. A lot of things to be happy about in terms of
2: you know, how that team, like I said, is constructed. And now they need some guys to step forward. I mean, obviously, Keanu Neal and uh,
0: Bernard Hargraves III have taken their talents to the NFL, and I think both will be – guys will play for, at least for a while. I think Neil will be a good player, and there's a chance
2: for, uh, for Mr. Hargraves to be a great player. Do they have players who have a chance to be as good as them on the roster? The answer is maybe.
0: (laughs) In my mind, at least the answer is maybe. But uh, just going through, we'll finish up uh, with offense, and then I'll spend the rest of the time on defense, and we'll close it out. So as mentioned, uh, this is a team that needs a certain amount, a certain number of plays from their offense in the passing game and, obviously, of course, in the running game. Jim McElwain is a really, really good coach and finds
2: a way to get things <laughs> out of players. You know, obviously, you know, Treyon Harris had the issues that Trayon Harris had. Uh, Flippi Franks, you know, is a, a young, talented player. Uh, Will Greer was certainly good. John Brantley was a guy that struggled in his time. Jeff
0: Driscoll, uh, Jacoby Brissett were all guys that for whatever reason never quite made an impact. You know, uh, Skylar Mornoway was a you know, very physically limited coach's son who probably wasn't a good fit there. Tyler Murphy, uh, more of an athlete than a quarterback, but had a nice little off with BC. They've had a a real issue at the quarterback position in the last several years. Uh, But Austin Appleby, Kyle Trask, Luke Del Rio, Jake Allen coming in, uh, they clearly have sort of fixed some things there. And it looks more like the Spurrier era than the last couple of eras in terms of how
2: the quarterback situation is put together. It's interesting to note, you know, obviously, look at the classes that uh used to come in, you
0: know, Spurrier and even I guess Ron Zook, you had Rex Grossman, Brock Berlin, Chris Lee, John Brantley, Cam Newton, Jeff Driscoll, <laughs> Jacoby Brissett, um, Josh Portis, Trey Burton, Trey Burton was originally a quarterback, Max Staver, who is still playing college football, he's transferred a couple of times. So yes, if, if either Franks or Trask continues to grow and develop and become a starter down the road. And if Del Rio becomes what I think he might become, they will have sort of wiped away a lot of the ugly old history they had at the quarterback position. The offensive line is improving. So they gave up 45 sacks last year, which was poor. And 3.4 yards a carry, 119th in the country. The 45 sacks, worst in the country, right? That's, there's no other word, way to put that. That's just bad.
2: It'll help if the quarterback play improves to drive down the number of sacks. Quick decision-making will help drive down the number of sacks. I hope we didn't get that. When Greer was suspended at the time, he had already thrown for
0: 1,204 yards, 65.8, 7.5 yards attempts, 10 touchdowns, 3 interceptions that would, if you were just extrapolating forward, would have been equal to a 2,000, uh, 2,800, sorry, 2,809 yards, 22 touchdowns, seven interception uh, season, which would have been way better than they ended up with and the best they would have had in a while. I think they could get close to that. As I said, I predicted, I think, nineteen seven touchdown interceptions, like 26-ish, 100 yards from... Uh, Whoever it is, and I think it's most likely Del Rio. Uh,
2: let's see other things of note. So the the big names in terms of people who are likely to be drafted this year are almost all on defense,
0: and whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, uh, may not matter. That's just a, that's just the fact. The facts are this is a team that is a defensive team. Uh, they are a team that is better on defense as, a, as at, the, at the moment than they are on offense. And with that being said, it'll certainly be decided one way or the other. Uh, I think earlier rather than later in the season, you'll get a good sense of what this team has a chance to be going forward. They certainly have, you know, the, the players, like I said. There's no lack of talent. There's a team that just, you know, if you're a three-star, you kind of feel almost like a walk-on because it's four-stars and five-stars as far as the eye can see
2: when you get to Gainesville. In the actual spring game itself, as I said, Doria looked really, really good, um,
0: was accurate, was composed, had only one incompletion. It was on a play where you kind of had to golf clap because it was a uh, he avoided a a a worse situation by just throwing the ball away. Uh Duke Dawson certainly so looked good on defense, Siante Lewis
2: looks good. Uh Kyle Trask and our looked decent. I think Trask looked probably the best. Uh, Felipe Frank struggled the most, including three interceptions, two of them to Duke Dawson,
0: who looked pretty good, one of which was returned for a touchdown. Looked very much like the, you know, 18-and-a-half-year-old that he is. He did make one really good to Fiante Lewis, who had a very good day at the office. Um, Alvin Bailey, as was mentioned, has announced that he's expected to, to transfer, so,
2: you know, we'll see what happens with that. But he looked good. <laughs> if it matters, he looked good in the spring game. And let's see, what else is worthy of note? Uh, Let's see, pass rush. Um, I think
0: they may actually take a little bit of a step back there. I didn't see anybody where I thought, wow, that guy's unstoppable. Um, But, yeah, let me just finish up with the offense. Uh, Dre Massey also looked pretty decent. Amongst the running backs, Mark Thompson looks good. C.J. Wharton looked pretty good. Uh, who actually snatched up a fumble um, and had a 46-yard catch and run from Del Rio. I mean, to see Lewis, who looked pretty good. Uh, they have fixed, to some extent, their place kicker situation, it looks like. So um, Pinheiro wasn't perfect. In fact, he had a couple of misses, I believe, but had the leg to be good from... You know, wherever pretty much. Um, he missed let's say two. He missed a fifty-four and a fifty-two yarder, but nailed 56, 52 and forty-six yarders. So, like I said, they seem to be Eddie Pinero seems to put them in good situation in terms of that. What am I expecting in terms of win losses? I think this is probably a two loss team with a chance
3: at one
2: loss. Uh
0: there's certainly some games you can point to on the schedule that I think will, like the other things you mentioned, turn everything. Uh, I think that they'll open with three, I will not say easy. Well, yeah, I guess easy. Easy victory. UMass, Kentucky, North Texas. Then the game to circle September 24th, Saturday at Newland Stadium against the Volunteers. A loss there means they are probably not going to win the SEC. So, you know, it's not completely out of it, but it'd be tough. They didn't have to be dependent upon, you know, to dropping at least one, which they probably will. So I guess they're not out of it, but it makes it harder. Then right after they go to Vandy. If they win both those games, I think you can – I mean, it's early, but I have a really good feeling about them winning the SEC. If they lose both those games, I don't think they're going to win the SEC. If they split those games, they're still in the running. Then LSU. Then I think they beat Missouri. If they lose to LSU, that's probably you – know, and then the other game. This is the one that, you know, obviously September – um, it's not something October the 29th, Jacksonville, Everbank, you know, quote-unquote neutral field game against Georgia, you know, quote-unquote neutral. If they win that game, even if they have one loss in conference, I mean one loss in the East, I think they're still in running. I think they can potentially have two losses in conference and still be in it. If, however, they've lost the Vandy game, the Tennessee game, and the LSU game, now they're just sort of tipping over the Apple court. card if they beat Georgia at that point. And then from that point forward, they, I think they run the table till they get to Florida State. I think they'll beat Arkansas. That'll be tough. South Carolina has a win, and you know I don't know if it's the Presbyterian, but I think they can beat the sturdy Blue Hose. And they finish off on the 26th of November against Florida State, which is out of conference. It'd be nice to win it, but you don't have to. So even if they Let's say they drop the game to Florida State, but I think they win it. But let's see if they drop that one. Let's say they drop that game. Let's say they drop the Georgia game and win the rest of them. Yeah, it'd be 10-2, and, two and they, they'd probably tie for the conference. 9-3 and three means they probably ended up second in the conference, right? And 8-4 and four would make people angry. Uh, they could go eleven and one conceivably. You know, maybe they just lose the... Georgia game and win all the others. I mean that's that's like I said, quarterback play will be so important because of that. So that's how I see it. I think it's gonna be probably a tie at the top between Tennessee and uh and Florida in the east, with Georgia maybe in the running as well. So next week at the SEC West, I want to thank Isaiah C, who was with me earlier, and last night we had Steve give us some really great stuff on Tennessee. So I'll post the link to what Steve dropped in knowledge on Tennessee. Thank you for your time, your talents, and we'll do this again in 1 week. And with your attention. And we'll do it again in 1 week. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring.
3: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.